Welcome to the Fuqua Show, for the stories, the lessons, and the passions of Team Fuqua. I'm your host, Thomas Chang, and today's guest is Tyler Kendrick. Welcome, Tyler. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you here. So a brief intro for everyone. Tyler Kendrick is a second-year MBA student here at Fuqua. She grew up in the D.C. and Maryland area, and after graduating from HBCU, Winston-Salem State University, she worked as a financial analyst and internal auditor at Eli Lilly. She's passionate about inclusion, leadership development, mentorship, mental health, and entrepreneurship, and she'll be going into consulting after graduation. What else, Tyler? What else do folks not know about you? <laughs> oh, really? It's just I'm here. I'm always willing to learn. I'm a student of life. I love helping people. I like to cook for people. I like music festivals. So just good energy in general, like having good experiences. Music festivals. Are you going to Dreamville this weekend? I am. I jealous. Am. <laughs> Very jealous. Please say hi to Drake and Usher for me. Oh, for sure. You know, I know them by name. Yeah. <laughs> well, we all do. Right? <laughs> right. Well, you have so many interests and such a wide variety of experiences. Let's start first with your background and where you grew up and, and what that upbringing was like. Yeah. So I grew up in PG County. Very much a diverse area. I loved it growing up. You get to be on the metro, you can go into the suburbs, all those things. But I was raised by my mom. I have an older sister and small family, but come from educators. And that's always been passed down and a passion of mine as well. And just always been told to go after my education and the career and life that I want. And you said that it was a diverse area. Yeah. Tell us more. So I went to all-girl Catholic school, mm -hmm. and so it was pretty equal in just diversity, not just in religion, but it was also racial, other sexual orientation, things and such like that. And it was one of those experiences where it wasn't a moment where I did not see people that looked like me, but I also saw people who didn't and was able to build friendships with a diverse group of friends. And so what made you go from that environment to the HBCU or the yeah. Historically Black College, yeah. Winston-Salem State, right here in North Carolina? So my family, I come from HBCU graduates. Okay. Uh, my mom went to Howard. My sister went to Hampton. My grandparents went to Hampton. Like It is in me. It is in my blood. And so that was tradition to go to HBCU. And I do not regret it whatsoever. And was it just always a given that that's the path that you would take? Or did you really have to make that conscious choice? I would say that it was a given. Like, I think it was always, I wanted to go to HBCU. I wanted to be with people who looked like me, experience that tradition, have that drumline experience that some people refer it to. And it was the best decision ever. Like, I cannot stress that enough. And so you talked about having all these different interests and really developing this passion for mentorship and inclusion in those college years. What sparked that and how did that impact your life? Yeah. When I look at my life, whether it is my career trajectory, whether it is just me being developed as a whole, there was never a moment where I was not being mentored and given and fed into. And that meant a lot to me. And so from high school onward, even before high school, I remember my sixth grade teacher uh, for math and science, how she looked over me and helped me get through some things. And so it's always been in my life. And I think it's a great way to give back, to help shape people and just give them encouragement along the way. What was the math teacher's name? Oh, Miss Jackson. Miss Jackson. Yeah. <laughs> yes, she actually lives around the corner from us still in Maryland. So. Well, I want to ask about her and about some of the other mentors, yeah. but what was it about her that really made that impact on your yeah. life? Tough love. 
it was tough love. She would allow you to cry, but she would also challenge you to be accountable. She would challenge you to act. And it's a lot of what I live by today. And she was always very transparent with us as well. And who else? Who else was a really important mentor in your life? Jordan Smith. He's actually a Fuqua alum. I met Jordan when I was a sophomore in undergrad. He actually interviewed me for my first internship at Lilly and has been in my life ever since. You have James Couch. You have Susan. You have Kelly Payne. Like It's a lot of people that I can name who at some point in my career or just life have supported me, whether it's picking up the phone for a call of encouragement or redlining a resume all of that in my mom, in my mom's circle of friends, for sure. Well, this is so interesting to me because you're listing off this whole list of names. I know a lot of people, maybe myself included, who think, oh, I I don't have any mentors or it's so hard to find someone. I don't know how to ask. How did you get to this point where you not only have one person, but so many people in your network who are helping you? I think it is a blend of being organic and allowing it to happen, but I also think you have to be intentional. I'm going to constantly tell you to think about the energy that you want around you and go from there. When it came to Jordan, it was, it just happenstance, right? You interviewed me, we stayed in contact afterwards and built from there. When you talk about Miss Jackson, she was my teacher, right? So when she saw certain behaviors, she pulled me aside. When you think about my mom and my mom's, we call it the executive board. It's they were in my life since I was a little kid and being able to call them. And so just building those organic relationships, being willing to be vulnerable and say, hey, I need help in this. Can you help me? And just going from there. And so that's the mentorship piece. But you said inclusion is another passion of yours that also developed around that time, those early years, the college time. Tell us more about that. What is inclusion to you? For me, inclusion is not just being invited to the party, it's actually being welcomed to the party and feeling like you belong at that party. And I think most people forget about that part, right? If you take it in an analogy of Chex Mix, you have all these different ingredients, but if you're constantly picking out ones over the other, or there's a different proportion to it, the other people can may not feel welcomed. And I think I have been in spaces and places where I did not feel welcome, that I was there, but I was not included. And it's about creating an environment where everyone can thrive. And a part of that also has to be in addressing equality. Do you mind sharing a story of when you felt like you weren't included? Yeah. I think if you talk about internship experiences, I remember one of my first internships, definitely feeling like, okay, the interns are clicky or that there's something that I'm missing or there's references that you may not understand and not feeling safe to ask that question of like, can you clarify what that means? Or I don't know what that is. And wanting to really fit in, but not feeling accepted and even welcome to fit in. And so back then and up until now, probably you're thinking about your own feelings of exclusion but then also hopefully how to make other people feel more included. Yeah, I think it's part of how you can see it is when you walk into a room, who's the person that looks disengaged, right? And it could be, yes, maybe they have a bad day, but if it is consistent that that person looks disengaged, whether you're on that team or not, there may be something there. And a part of inclusion is not just about diversity. It is, do we value the thoughts? Do you feel supported to speak your mind in a meeting? And I have no problem being that person that says, hey, can we quiet the room for this person to talk to? Mm. Well, I'm curious. 
Tyler, that first job when you moved to Indianapolis, you said was the first time that you lived and operated in a majority white space yeah. or a majority non-black space. What was that like for you personally? Oh, it was different. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it, it was definitely different. I learned a lot, especially moving to Indiana. We have a different type of political stance in certain areas, things as such. But one thing I will always applaud Lily for is particularly I was surrounded by people in my area, like my department, but outside of that, who would give me tips and tricks and that you can go to and ask where's the safe space to go, what's a good part of town to go to, to stay away from. But a lot of it also was very triggering, right? Of having to learn how do I respond to this without playing into stereotypes that come with my skin tone? How do I advocate for myself in spaces and learning those different things? And I was very blessed in a way to experience what I was able to experience in my years at Lilly. And I would give a lot of credit to that development from mentors on that. Well, you also said that a big interest of yours is that leadership development yeah. piece. Yeah. That came from that time at Eli? It did. It did. From just tracking on different committee chair roles, trying to train a new person that came after me, learning how to do that successfully. Words of wisdom. I had a supervisor who was a phenomenal person when it came to like philosophical quotes. So we connected on that and learning from him and being honest and transparent and making mistakes myself, right? Not getting certain things or missing deadlines and being able to learn from that. I think a lot of these pieces are tying in together, right? The idea of needing to have an inclusive environment and mentor people, not just be mentored, but also pay it forward and help other people to be leaders for sure, for and sure. to be the best versions of themselves that yeah. they can be. Yeah, for sure. I think leadership and to be really developed as a leader, you have to go inward. You have to go inward. It's not just about what you're able to deliver whether it's a performance metric or anything, it's how do you make people feel? How do people feel supported by you? Are you a micromanager? Well, let's get to the root of why are you a micromanager? And I think to do the work to become a better leader, you have to really think about your flaws, but also what you're very good at and leverage that successfully. And what else have you learned about yourself as a leader? Yeah, I would say I am way more introverted than people think. I do try to take a backseat and allow the team to lead and more so want to kind of like step in if something needs, but I want people to feel like they have autonomy to do what they need to do. Okay. For those of us who might not be there yet in terms of that introspection, what recommendations do you have? Because I agree with you that that's so important. You can't, what I say is you got to know yourself to grow yourself. Yeah. Yeah. How can people do better in this area? Yeah, like you can take all the personality tests and things and such like that. But I would always say, ask your friends and family members to give you five values, five words that describe you and see where the overlap is, right? Um, ask yourself, journal, record yourself talking about your goals and what is really important to you. And from there, Really ask yourself, how am I acting on those things, right? If for me as a leader, one of my principles is transparency. And a part of being transparent in a lot of ways is you have to be a little bit vulnerable, right? And that's something I had to work on is like, okay, well, how do I tell this? How do I share this? 
but not give too much or not give too little. And that is an effort, an ebb and flow of a lot of different things, but it's something that I had to think about. Well, go back to your childhood. What are the things that you learned there? Go back to your adulthood. What did you learn? And it's like no area of life is off limits that helps develop. You could be romantic things that help develop your leadership. It's literally any and everything, but really taking it back of like, how do I show up? And asking people, not just the people you think are going to give you the good feedback and that we love you and you're great, et cetera, but ask the people you may have bumped heads with of like, why? And be willing and accepting of that and know that you may not be everybody's cup of tea and that's okay, but can you stand your tea? And I think that's a part of what leadership development has to be. Or maybe asking those mentors too. Yeah, for sure. Oh, I had them, especially when preparing for graduate school, like, okay, can you look at this? Is my personality coming out? Like, what is this displaying? Well, no, you're not showing who you are or even your leadership style. So it's it's an ebb and flow. Well, speaking of who you are, you mentioned one of your values in terms of transparency. What are some of the other ones when you said words to describe you and, and values that you hold? What have others said about you? For me, it's to be of service, right? I think I grew up in a household of educators my mom worked in corporate America, particularly the government, and just learning from them that you have to show up for people, even when you may not feel like energy, et cetera, and to serve in a capacity of creating safe spaces, allowing them to ask questions, giving a hug when needed, leveraging your resources, your network to help get something done. And even if it doesn't come back to you in that way, but like to really give, pay it forward, as you said earlier. And I live by that. Well, I want to ask you about another interest of yours, and it aligns well with the next chapter in your life after Indianapolis, which is, of course, coming here to Fuqua for your MBA. And that's when you developed this interest around mental health. Yeah, yeah. It's been a journey. (laughs) Going to grad school has been a journey, but I think more so my journey with mental health has been checking in with myself. Right. Setting boundaries with myself. I think when you are very career oriented and ambitious, it's a get it done, get it done energy. But what I've been able to do, particularly in grad school, is really step back and ask myself around, hey, does this serve you? Right. A good friend of mine once said, if it doesn't soothe you, it doesn't serve you. And starting to ask myself those questions, and that has helped me enable stronger mental health, right? You can say no to going to that event if it's not going to serve you. You can say yes to that if that's something you want to do and giving yourself that grace and the empathy that you also need to give to other people because we can be hard on ourselves, right? We're very type A. I honestly thought I was type A before I came to business school. I realized I'm not as type A as other people, but... Um, I think mental health is a journey for everyone. I think we have to have more honest conversations about it. I think we have to be aware that it shows up differently for different people, but really having the moments and the ability to say, yes, I may be dealing with this, but yes, I can also conquer it. And it may take time and things as such, but like you're never alone. And I really hope that that comes through. So you mentioned not saying yes to every event. Are there other strategies that you learned or that you can recommend to others for when it comes to their mental health? 
Yeah. So saying no, not just other people, saying no to yourself. Mm. Right. I'm doing that now. You know, I want to go on this trip. You don't have that money. No. Right. Being honest in time management, especially in grad school, we think we can get something done in 30 minutes, an hour. Like, okay, let's be honest. Other things I think people can do to help. Say, find something that allows you to meditate. And it doesn't have to be like a sit down, legs, yoga position, meditate, but that allows you just to reflect whether that's a podcast around different theories, music, allowing yourself to explore and have that outlet. That is huge for me. It's like finding an outlet. My outlet is boxing and I love it. Like, and it came through graduate school and I don't regret getting involved in it at all. Tell me more about how you've continued building out this mentorship network or you, as you call it, the personal board of directors here at Fuqua. Yeah. So I think (laughs) I started laughing, sorry, because when I think about the people that I've met here at Fuqua, whether it's students or faculty, I really think how blessed I am in a lot of ways around my ability to in my weakest moments, in my moments of insecurity, imposter syndrome, all of that, still show up and still find people who want to love on me, who want to support me organically, whether it's Stephanie, whether it's Dr. J, whether it's the wonderful ladies in admissions, just finding the network here has been really much an eye-opener, right, of you don't need 3,000 people or your board of directors. You get you like five, three strong people, like you can conquer the world. And it's been something that continues to develop, right? I think I've always been good at building relationships with professors, uh, whether it's, hey, I had your class, I'm working on this mentor study, how can you help me? I have these questions. But I think a part of it is always being willing to reconnect and stay in contact with them and not just take, but also give. Well, on that, I want to hear more about really what the personal board of directors is and how you use it to help propel your success. Yeah. So personal board of directors, ultimately, similar to a board of a company, is around having the right people in your corner, at your table, uh, to help you make decisions, whether it's about your life, whether it's about career, anything. And my biggest take from it is it needs to be people, yes, who love and support you, of course, but who also challenge you and that some of them come from a different area. Like mine has PhDs in the science area, manufacturing people, entrepreneurs, all of those. And so they can give you that different feedback, different perspective, different ways to look at things. And it's really important for you to do that from a sense of ensuring that when you're making a decision, you have that sounding board and not just the people who are always going to tell you yes, but have people that are going to tell you no have someone that's a little bit more skeptical, things and such like that, to encourage that you're making the right decision with the right information. From your personal board of directors, what's the best advice you've received from one of them? I would say, don't tell yourself no before they tell you no. Do you remember the context? So particularly, I was thinking about applying to MBA, et cetera, and I was actually thinking about not doing it. Like I listed all these reasons of why... And my mentor stated, don't tell yourself no before they tell you no, because automatically it's going to be a no. 
And so kind of like that idea of you miss any shot that you don't take. And so very much have to be mindful of when I'm telling myself no versus when the world is telling me no. And that list of reasons why no, was it imposter syndrome? I don't necessarily think it was imposter syndrome. I think we were in the heat of the pandemic, right? And mentally with everything going on, I was just tired, right? Like, do I really have the energy to study for the GMAT, the GRE, to do these applications? But more so the fear of how do you balance or justify going to school and being broke for two years? And what is the true outcome and what comes out of MBA was a little bit harder for me to see. Don't regret coming, but it was just one of those moments of like, how do you balance temporary discomfort versus long-term game? Anything else from your mentors that still sticks with you today? I think one that sticks out to me is I was trying to train a new hire underneath me. And my supervisor at the time, I was having difficulty of like that balance of how do I let that person fail and like, you know, stumble a little bit versus like, no, correct it beforehand. And he told me that you have to think of it like a baby around a glass table. You can safety proof the edges and be there when they fall because you know they're going to fall. And but you have to let them fall in order for them to get back up. And I've taken that a lot around mistakes, whether it's personal or even personal, that I'm going to fall, you're going to fall. But how do we create an environment where it is safe for you to fail in a lot of ways and for you to learn the lesson from that failure without getting too severely injured? And I like what you say there, because with your earlier point about service, service is not doing everything for someone right. else. Correct. It, service is not doing it for someone service is helping them do it. How do you give them the resources, the time, um, the love, encouragement, the even the difficult feedback to do it and get it done? And I think sometimes we get that confused with like, oh, I'm just doing it. You're not helping them learn and you're not learning in that either. So it needs to, learning has to be both ways. How do you challenge yourself and push yourself to greater heights while you're here at Fuqua? Yeah. Embracing discomfort. Being section rep was uncomfortable. Why? And again, because people think that I'm more extroverted than I am. I'm way more introverted. But more so, it was a test of my ability to say, hey, this is what I stand for. This is what I want to do. And it's vulnerable to go up like against peers who may be more popular, quote unquote, and all these different things to say like, hey, I'm here, vote for me. It, it felt like I legit was running for a campaign, but I was not campaigning. I like to make that note. <laughs> but even more so, it was some of the topics that you had to, or issues that came up, balancing COVID and other things, it can get disheartening at times, right? And it's a different level of information that you get in your experience that you're balancing with a normal experience. And I do not regret it. I had learned a lot about myself, but even more so, I think it allowed me to get to know some people that I may not have naturally gotten to know. And I, I truly appreciate those relationships that occur from that. Okay. Well, you're wrapping up your time here at Fuqua. You're going to be leaving soon. And you were telling me that another new area of interest 
or emerging area of interest for you is entrepreneurship. Yeah. What about entrepreneurship excites you? Mm. Well, let me take it from this angle. I got interested in entrepreneurship when I was younger. Okay, so not a new thing. It's not a new thing. I used to sell, I don't know if you know what GIMP is. Mm-hmm. I used to sell that. Well, describe it for a full Um GIMP is kind of like gel string that you can make different designs with, like the box. There was like the Chinese staircase. There was all these different ones. I used to sell that in elementary school. Buy the string. You got different sizes, different colors. You got a little package deal here. More so my interest now has to do with, I want to create generational wealth. And I think one of the things in the American system is we are taught to be employees, not employers. And that has significantly impacted different equity moments, particularly within the Black community. And I really want us to be able to embrace that a little bit more, Um, as well, particularly for me, from a comfort standpoint, entrepreneurship is uncomfortable. And getting to see that through my mentor study here has made me realize that even more, that there's different difficulties that happen. And I would really love to be able to help small business owners with those difficulties, strategies, but even more so like embrace discomfort, learning about myself and getting to build generational wealth. Well, that's the best way to learn, isn't it? Yeah. Is really saying, I'm going to build something. I'm going to try to create something from nothing. Like you said, with section rep, go out in the world and say, here's what I have to offer. Yeah. Yeah. Like, hi, choose me. I really want to just expand people's opportunities, right? Like you can go into corporate America if that's what you decide, but here's another avenue that you can do too. And could you be just as successful there? I love that. I love that. Well, Tyler is almost finished with her MBA. If you could go back and tell a younger version of yourself, whether it was from the Maryland version or college version or the Indianapolis version, what would you tell her? Mm. When I left for undergrad, my mom, and I still have it, wrote on a sticky note, make your life. And I always hang it up in any place I have, et cetera. And it's not until now that I really understand what that is, right? So I would tell younger Tyler to make her life understand that the path that she is on is the one that she's supposed to be. You are going to have some ups and downs, but you are so capable. And if you can encourage anyone, not just yourself, keep going. Like it is a beautiful journey. Um, You can do it, but more so give yourself love, patience, empathy, and really take this journey on. You can do it. I promise you, you can do it. You can, you can Tyler. And, And so can everyone else. And I love that. I love that bringing it back to what you said about mentorship and and leadership development, entrepreneurship of helping people make their own lives. Yeah. Make your life and never let anyone steal your joy. Never let anyone steal your joy. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Tyler, for coming on today. It's been an absolute pleasure. I learned a lot and I'll see you next time.